Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to another episode of Big Time Dicks, the show where we take a closer look at the laws and lawmakers fucking up your life. I'm Joanna Rothkoff, Managing Editor at Jezebel. And I'm Prachi Gupta, Senior Reporter at Jezebel. This week, Donald and Melania Trump hosted the annual Easter egg roll, which included the horrific spectacle of watching the Trumps trying to relate to children. That was audio of Donald Trump signing a child's hat and throwing it into the air. I don't want to read into why he threw the child's hat into the crowd, but it does seem like he signed the hat, couldn't remember what he was supposed to do with it, and then threw it. <laughs> I mean, what else, What is another explanation? It's very puzzling. <laughs> it's so puzzling. Um, so <laughs> everybody watch that video if you can. Just like Google. No, we'll put it in. We'll put it in the blog. So we're doing something different this week and next week where we're devoting two whole episodes to one topic, which is exciting. And we have great guests joining us. We're going to be looking at the Marines United nude photo scandal and the epidemic of sexual assault in the military. And on this week's episode, we have two guests joining us. We have Miranda Peterson, who's the executive director of Protect Our Defenders, which is a nonprofit dedicated to fighting sexual assault in the military. It really has affected not only their, you know, kind of personal mental health, feelings of betrayal, feelings, you know, in terms of their relationship with their unit, but it's also something that has impacted their career and their ability to, you know, to perform at their job. Our second guest is legendary civil rights attorney Gloria Allred, who's been a champion for women's rights for decades and has represented women who've accused people like Bill Cosby and Donald Trump of sexual assault and sexual harassment. There can be no meaningful change without hearing from victims whose lives have been endangered by posts which suggest that they should be killed, and this is a quote, by friendly fire, end quote, or that they should be raped or sexually assaulted. We also talked to Gloria Allred about breaking news that Bill O'Reilly has been ousted at Fox News. Yay. Finally. <laughs> Bye, bitch. But first, our truncated weekend weenies. So this is kind of like a women-centric weenie week, which is exciting because at Jezebel, we love to talk about women. So this week, Betsy DeVos, the Secretary of Education, appointed somebody to head her Office of Civil Rights that is just like an 
it's just a perfect quintessential Trump administration civil rights advocate. Her name is Candace Jackson. She is the person who organized the meet and greet between Donald Trump and Bill Clinton's sexual assault accusers. If you remember it, it was a Facebook Live. They all sat at a table. So uh, thank you very much for coming. And these four very courageous women have asked to be here, and it was our honor to help them. And I think they're each going to make just an individual short statement, and then we will have a little meeting. And uh, we'll see you at the debate. It was very hard to watch. Um, So she went to Stanford, and she's notable. ProPublica did a big deep dive on her. She claimed she was discriminated against for being white. And what she cited was that she gravitated towards a section of a math class that provided students extra help on challenging problems and— later learned after she had gravitated to that section that it was reserved for minority students and students of color. And she said that it was a discriminatory program, quote, we need to allow each person to define his or her own achievements instead of assuming competence or incompetence based on race. A beautiful thought. Our second weenie of the week is New Mexico's Governor Susana Martinez, who vetoed the entire budget for the state's higher education system this past week, meaning that as of right now, public universities won't get any state funding for next year. So that means pretty much like no no education is, I mean, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe no, no ed- education. No education. <laughs> um, or any of the research affiliated with those universities. I mean, anything that's impacted by the state funding is going to take a major hit and it's unclear what's going to happen, but her veto was a protest against proposed tax increases in the budget. However, I would argue that maybe no education and limited research and loss of critical services related to education would also be really bad and potentially worse than proposed tax increases on the population. But that's just you. That's true. That's clearly just me. Susana Martinez does not agree. And what? Who, what, who am I to say? I'm just a <laughs> voice on a podcast. The Democrat-led state legislature is fighting back. They're suing Martinez, calling her veto unconstitutional. So remains to be seen what will happen with the budget. I love people pushing their limits. It's brave. <laughs> um, so our next dick is Stephen Miller, our dick who looks the most like a biological dick. In college, I just want to remind everybody that he wrote an essay called Sorry Feminists, which is an amazing essay to have written. I want to – maybe one day when I'm brave enough, I'm going to blog a blog called Sorry Feminists for Jezebel. The news is, according to Politico, that he has been chosen to work on the topic that he knows most about women with Ivanka Trump. So he's now working – on family leave, child care, and women's issues. A good point that Jezebel staff writer Ellie Shackett brings up is that there are no other women that he could have chosen, that Donald Trump could have chosen, except for Kellyanne Conway, but I don't know what she's been up to lately. Although I would love to know. I could also see her writing an essay called Sorry Feminists. I'm sure she's written that essay. I'm sure they both plagiarized each other's Sorry Feminists (laughs) essay.
And now for our dick of the week. It's Marines United and the U.S. military. So this news broke in March, but people, we found at least that it didn't really get that much coverage. So we're talking about it now. So back at the beginning of March, news broke that the Defense Department was investigating reports that a group of Marines shared naked and partially clothed pictures of fellow women Marines and of other unidentified women on a Facebook page called Marines United, which was made up of over 30,000 active duty and retired Marines and Navy corpsmen and British Royal Marines. So the investigation was first reported by the Center for Investigative Reporting and The War Horse, which is a nonprofit news organization run by another Marine veteran, Thomas Brennan. So that report said that there are more than 24 active duty women Marines officers and and enlisted that were identified by their rank, full name, and location in the Facebook group. There was also a Google Drive link that all of these people had access to that had other pictures. So the social media accounts were deleted by Facebook and Google at the request of the Marine Corps, but that didn't actually do anything because these people had created so many backup accounts that when one got shut down, no information was lost. They would just transfer to another one. So in Marines United 2.0, which has also since been closed, one user who called himself Garrett Bailey wrote something in response to the first one being closed. He said, I'm only going to say this shit once, so all of you fucks play, pay close goddamn attention. If you add the fuck that snitches. What does that mean? I believe he's using the word fuck as a noun here. Which is very confusing. <laughs> it, okay. Yeah, I was confused. I will blast you on every goddamn page from here to fucking the sandbox and back. Understand this. I will not accept a request until I can see that the person has served. If they haven't, don't fucking add them. If you see someone and know they're a fucking snitch, let an admin know. This shit should have never made it to the national fucking news. Anyway, this kept happening. Thank God for the snitches. So the Daily Beast wrote a series of articles on this, and they got a comment from another former Marine who was kind of a spokesperson for the Marines United Facebook group. And he said, I think the exploitation of sharing nudity of other service members online will eventually get solved. But what I'm saying is that even before then, you still have special cases going on inside units. So when you integrate women, these numbers are going to spike up within those infantry units, and that's just more things for the Marine Corps to worry about. And it's not just the Corps, but the Army as well. So basically, he's blaming kind of incidents like Marines United and also just sexual assault in general with integrating women into the Corps. So the military has this very macho, very tough guy culture. And it has long argued, just as Joanna was saying, that like women are not meant for combat. And one of the reasons why they argue that well, sexual assault, they blame it on the women. Um, and then also saying that women are just not strong enough and that they introduce some sort of a weird sexual distraction to men, which, by the way, has been an excuse to exclude women from all sorts of things throughout all of time. It also is, I mean, for me specifically, bring, bringing to mind how Mike Pence can't have dinner with a woman because he— knows that there will be some sort of temptation and he would like to avoid that. There's there's no accepting of blame in these situations. It's just like if something bad is going to happen, it's going to happen and we can't control ourselves. 
Right. And this is a myth that has been used to pass real policy. Like, like in the 1970s, like women weren't allowed to run marathons because men believed that their uterus would fall out. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a different – that is a different thing. <laughs> well, different – it's it's in this – it's the same attitude, though. And it's yeah. not different in that they still believe they weren't strong enough totally. to do that in the same way men believe women aren't strong enough for combat roles. Not all men. Not hashtag, hashtag not, not all men. men. Um, <laughs> obviously – that the attitude that women will be a distraction or or introduce this sexual component to the military has is a long held belief as well. Um, the military, uh, another long held belief in the military is that gay people don't exist. Yeah, there, there's another one. There's a lot of around. yeah, a lot of really uh, problematic views here. But if you look at the statistics. Sexual assault and sexual harassment is a very serious problem in the military. According to the Department of Defense, around one in three military women have been sexually assaulted, which is a higher rate than the general population, which they estimate is one in six, both of which are just absurdly high. In a 2015 survey on military sexual assault by the RAND Corporation, estimated that about 5% of women who are currently in active service and 1% of men in active service were sexually assaulted in the year before that. And then 22% of women and 7% of men have reported being sexually harassed in that past year as well. So very high rates of sexual harassment as well. Um, And in 60% of the sexual harassment cases, the victims were actually harassed by a supervisor. So the research also shows that there's a relationship between sexual assault and harassment. So, for example, in the case of Marines United, that's harassment, and people can try to dismiss that as an isolated incident. But the fact that it is persisting, it has been an issue for a while, and that we know harassment happens online and offline, and online harassment quickly turns into offline harassment, um, there's a serious link here between the violence we see against women and the way that women are being talked about and talked to in the military. So a third of survivors reported being sexually harassed before their assault, and 86% of survivors didn't report the crimes, and of those who did, more than half of them faced retaliation. And retaliation can even come in the form of being discharged. So this is a very serious problem affecting a significant portion of the military population. And I think one of the most startling statistics about sexual assault in the military is that women in the military actually have a higher chance of being sexually assaulted by a fellow service member than of dying in combat. Sexual assault in the military has been in the national spotlight since at least the 1990s when 100 Navy and Marine Corps officials were alleged to have assaulted more than 80 women and a little less than 10 men at a two-day conference in Las Vegas in 1991, but not enough has changed in the past couple of decades. So, I mean, imagine, for example, if when if as a woman you're enlisting for the military and there's a checkbox that says, I am aware that there's a 20% chance I'll get raped by my colleagues. I mean, that's basically what the military is asking women to do or expecting them to do by refusing to address the epidemic of sexual assault in the military. So there has been a congressional hearing. The Democratic Working Women's Group hosted a hearing on April 5th 
that was about this, but we're not going to talk about that today. We just want you guys to know what happened. We're going to talk about that more next week. But the reason we're bringing this up now is because these conversations about military sexual assault, like every couple months there will be some study that comes out that's really alarming and it'll get some news coverage and people will be like, wow, that's such a problem. And then the news cycle continues and people forget about it if they're not in the military. And then the women in the military are continuing to deal with this without much having changed. So we didn't want it to just be a topic that we talked about on the podcast that then goes into the archives. And I also think that as one of America's most venerated institutions, the U.S. military can serve as a bellwether or as an, a force for change, um, even though it's been one of the slowest institutions to change. Uh, if if this institution can change and turn it around, I think there's hope for others. But I also want to point out that while sexual violence is unfortunately so commonplace in so many um, areas and in industries and in places of work, one thing that makes military cases are that militaries have their own separate judicial system. And it's extremely hard to come forward as a victim in this system because one quarter of the survivors would actually have to report their rape to their rapist. And a third would have to report the crime to a friend of the rapist. Um, that's how insular and isolated these communities are. The point is that there are no neutral parties in this. It's such an insular system. There's no objective judicial body that has no connection to what's going on. Now joining us is Miranda Peterson, Executive Director of Protect Our Defenders, which is a nonprofit devoted to ending sexual assault in the military. Miranda recently testified on behalf of Marines United survivors before the Democratic Women's Hearing on Nonconsensual Pornography. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So first of all, can you tell us about what Protect Our Defenders does and how you got involved with it? Uh, Protect Our Defenders is a nonprofit that is solely dedicated to addressing the issue of sexual violence and uh, harassment uh, in the military. Protect Our Defenders has been working on this issue for over five years now. And, you know, I've seen this play out over and over again. And I've talked to these women. And it's so infuriating because you know, these are women who voluntarily signed up to serve their country. Uh, they're doing public service. They've made enormous sacrifices in order to do this job. And not only do they have to face all of the stress and all of the pressure and all of the trauma that comes along with a job that involves, you know, deploying to a combat zone and being separated from, from your friends and family and from your home and your community. But on top of that, you have to deal with the constant, relentless negative treatment by the men in your own unit and, you know, a complete lack of support from leadership. And I just think that's, it's demoralizing and it's just, it really devalues the amazing contributions that these women are making for our country. So in your testimony to Congress, you said that in your role at Protect Our Defenders, you heard from a number of survivors of the Marines United scandal who were affected by the Facebook group. Um, what was it like to hear from them? So 
the women that we've heard from are not necessarily related directly to the Marines United scandal, because I think one of the uh, misconceptions is that the Marines United scandal is this isolated incident. But really, the issue of non-consensual pornography and the proliferation of these Facebook groups goes well beyond Marines United and has existed for a lot longer. Uh, the Marines have actually been aware of these types of Facebook groups and also the, that, that women in the military have been being targeted in this manner for quite some time. So uh, through our pro bono network, where we provide uh, legal resources and other types of casework support to uh, to victims of sexual harassment and, and violence, uh, we've had women who've come to us have, who have dealt with this issue. And it's it's just it's been really frustrating for them because not only are they being targeted, having their pictures posted online without their consent, but the laws in the military are not designed at this time to to really fully address the type of um, behavior that we're seeing on these on these sites, and largely what we were hearing from these women is that their units and their commanders, the other men in their units who maybe weren't actually engaging in the sharing of these photos, were aware that the photos existed and had likely seen them themselves and had not done anything about it. For instance, we had a woman who reached out to us who learned um, several years ago that private photos that she had shared with a partner while she was deployed overseas had been hacked and had been taken from a computer and shared with members of her unit and uh, that they had been circulating for quite some time. And when she brought this issue to her commander, she learned that they were aware of it and that they had, you know, tried kind of informal means of, of preventing for it from being spread further, but um, really hadn't uh, done anything formal in terms of taking action to punish anyone. These women are being told by criminal investigators that there's nothing that they can really do because it's not a crime under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And these photos will follow them from base to base, so they can't escape it. It really has affected not only their, you know, kind of personal mental health, feelings of betrayal, feelings, you know, in terms of their relationship with their unit, but it's also something that has impacted their career and their ability to, you know, pr to perform at their job. Hearing all of this and not, as you said, not just the Marines United scandal, but all of the incidences of sexual assault and harassment in the past several years as a woman— that would make me very wary of seeking out the military or, or wanting to enroll. How are these incidents affecting women who do want to enroll in the military? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, one of the two uh, female Marines that testified with me at the hearing had told the Washington Post when she was speaking about her experience that this experience had basically ruined her, the Marine Corps for her and that even if she had the opportunity, she would not reenlist. And, you know, I think this is actually— one of the reasons why we're seeing a stronger response from the from the Marine Corps at this time, because it's a, it's a real threat to the military in terms of the ability to recruit and retrain and retain women in the services. And if they are unable to recruit and retain women, they're going to have um, a serious crisis in terms of their ongoing ability to, at this point, meet their own goals of increasing the force. That's interesting to me because the Marines were the most resistant to letting women in, from my understanding. So it's interesting that now this is a problem that's affecting them. So, so was it not before? Is it because now Marines are expected to accommodate women? Um, how does that attitude play out with this? So the Marine Corps right now only 
it's 93% male. Only 7% of the Marine Corps are women. And they have been extremely resistant to efforts uh, to integrate the services in terms of opening combat positions to women. And they are the only service that continues to segregate their basic training. There's clearly a culture within the Marine Corps that denigrates women, that you know really plays down their contributions to the service. And they also have a much higher rate of sexual violence uh, than the other services. They have about a 20% higher rate than the Navy, which is the second highest uh, rate of sexual assault in the service. It's interesting. We heard General Neller talk, uh, speak during his testimony uh, at the um, Senate Arm- before the Senate Armed Services Committee, uh, talking about the contributions that women have made and the fact that they have fought and died for their country and that they have made significant contributions um, to the service. And I think that that was um, a, a bit of a change in tone um, in terms of defending the women that have served our, our country and actually recognizing the contributions that they've made. But they aren't really putting their actions where their words are in terms of actually supporting women, um, ensuring that they're advancing in the way that men are. What's really fascinating about this this scandal is that um, this information was brought to light not by women who were being targeted, but by uh, a male veteran who was offended when he um, learned of the pages and learned of the the comments that were being made about about female Marines. Most women don't come forward and they don't report because they fear retaliation. And what you see is that when women do speak up and they do come forward, uh, the vast majority of them do face both personal and professional repercussions, including the type of harassment that we're seeing online. It's been over a month since the Marines United scandal broke. We know that two individuals at Camp Pendleton received non-judicial punishment, which is um, an administrative form of punishment in lieu of uh, court-martial. Uh, they were demoted and, and given some base restriction and extra duty, but that's the extent of the action that we've actually seen from the Marine Corps in response to the really reprehensible behavior of hundreds, if not thousands, of active duty and reserve members of the Marine Corps. So something like this, it's happened a number of times before. How is it possible that it continues to happen without any major changes being implemented? Well, that's one of the really outrageous um points about this this story is that, you know, you see General Neller and the Marine Corps coming out and expressing shock and concern, but they had uh, similar groups um, of this nature brought to their attention in 2013 by both Protect Our Defenders and Congresswoman Speer, uh, Congresswoman Jackie Speer, and uh, they did nothing about it. They basically said, this is an IT issue, this is Facebook. You know, they kind of had this attitude of, we can't really control what people say and do online. And that was it. And this was not just, you know, kind of boys will be boys type behavior. This was pictures of women being bound and gagged, clear pictures of domestic and sexual violence, jokes about rape. And no actions were taken in response to that. And, you know, this kind of speaks to a larger pattern with the military that Protect Our Defenders has faced in trying to reform the military justice system and the way in which it prosecutes sexual assault crimes is that we have faced massive resistance from the Department of Defense in at every step of the process. Any change that you want to make, they resist it. They're on the Hill lobbying against it and making it really difficult to really move the ball forward in terms of you know addressing these crimes, holding people accountable, and supporting survivors. And that's usually coupled with a lot of lip service. But like you said, this issue goes back for decades. So it's a pattern. I think one of the things that's been really encouraging has been seeing 
to see over the past several years that there has been a more sustained effort by Congress to hold the military accountable, to force more transparency, and to really just force these changes on them when they uh, when they resist. And we saw that with the combat integration and also with a number of changes to how the military handles sexual assault. So what can be done um, policy-wise to improve the situation for women in the military? And also, do you think that including women in the draft would change anything? So one of the issues that has arisen from um, the Marines United scandal is that while they now are you know, the, military, the Marine Corps leadership is saying that they're going to pursue identifying the individuals who have engaged in uh, sharing photos of Marine Corps women and engaged in the, these denigrating comments and, and that they will prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law. In fact, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, the current statute that addresses non-consensual pornography, only criminalizes taking photos without the consent of, of an individual and sharing those photos. But it doesn't criminalize the non-consensual sharing of photos that might have at some time been taken with a person's consent. So in a lot of, in some of these cases we've seen, um, you know, it, it was a member, an, act, an active duty member who was deployed overseas who may have sent photos privately to a partner back in the, in the U.S. or um, taken photos and had them stored on their computer. And those photos were either stolen off of their hard drive or were shared with their former partner, um, you know, who was trying to humiliate and and um, punish them after a breakup. And because those photos were taken with the consent of the of the victim at the time, it's unlikely that the the Marine Corps is going to be able to prosecute those individuals for sharing those photos. And so, Congresswoman Spear has proposed. Um, an amendment to the uh, to the Uniform Code of Military Justice that would address this, and it would make it a crime to knowingly share these images if you know or have reason to know that they were shared without the consent of the subject. So that would be a first step, would be amending this law to actually make it possible for the military to prosecute uh, these types of crimes. And then in addition, you know, even if you can't prosecute them, we can see strong action from the Marine Corps in terms of rooting out this type of behavior and punishing people because there are other uh, statutes and regulations within the military that address, you know, conduct unbecoming of an officer or conduct that's discrediting to your service or to the military. And it's impossible to change the culture when, one, the leadership is engaging in this behavior and getting away with it, and two, when you have, you know, a, an extreme example like the Facebook pages in, in Marines United— you know, a month later, you've seen two people get, you know, some extra duty. And that's the extent of the repercussions that the public and all of the service members who might be engaging in this behavior uh, see. The question about women in the draft, would that change anything? So I- I'm not sure about the draft. I think that for us, it's more about the integration of women into all of the positions in uh, in the services. So um, I was looking back at uh, Secret- Secretary Ash Carter's uh, 2015 announcement that he was opening all combat roles to uh, to women, and you know this opened up over 220,000 jobs, or potentially opened up over 220,000 jobs. Uh, to women that have been closed to them up until this point, and these are jobs in 
you know, in combat fields that often, you know, the positions that might be considered, you know, kind of the most difficult or most prestigious um, in terms of leadership and rising up through the ranks and opening up opportunities to uh, to women. I think it's very important that they have the ability to serve in these roles and to not be, you know, kind of sidelined. And also, we know that the reality is that women have been serving in combat roles. They have been fighting uh, and dying alongside the men in their units, and yet they aren't being recognized. And so, you know, that that sends a signal in terms of kind of the worth of the women in the service, in terms of um, their status in comparison to the men that they're serving alongside. And I think for us, we strongly support, you know, really aggressively moving forward with this uh, with integration, because uh, as we've seen, I think if you're treated kind of as a second class member of the service or, you know, the assumption is that you you can't make the same contributions as the men in your unit, then it gives fodder to the people who um, who really don't want women to be in the service or who are threatened by women performing the same jobs as them. And now joining us is Gloria Allred, civil rights attorney who's championed for women's rights and represented people who've accused personalities like Bill Cosby and Donald Trump of sexual assault and harassment. She's representing two of the survivors from the Marines United Facebook scandal. So can you tell us a little bit about how you first got involved in the Marines United case? Well, I was contacted by a former Marine, Erica Butner, and also by an active duty Marine. Lance Corporal Marissa Wytek. And both women have served our country here and abroad. Both have been very proud to earn the title United States Marine. But despite the fact that they've sacrificed to serve our nation and that they've earned our respect and gratitude, both have become victims of the Marines United scandal. And both of them had photos of them posted on web pages without their knowledge or consent. Both had crude, vulgar, obscene, and threatening comments posted in response to the unauthorized posting of their photos. And both know other female Marines that have been similarly victimized. In addition, Erica and Marissa had something else in common. After having been targeted by disrespectful men who dishonored the uniform that they wore in the United States Marines, These brave female Marines decided that they would no longer remain victims, and instead, they would become fighters for change with a mission, and they decided to become a voice for women who had also been similarly victimized by the Marines United webpage and other similar webpages. So what's the current status of the case? Marissa and Erica's goal is to promote respect for women who are United States Marines, and to have an impact on ending the misogyny and the sexual harassment, which many have been forced to endure in order to serve our country. So to that end, we have three goals. The first is to meet in person with Marine Commandant General Neller. And on March 8th, 2017, I sent a letter to him requesting a meeting uh, with Lance Corporal Wytek 
and former Marine Butner and other victims and me in order to share ideas to promote more respect for United States Marines who are women. And although I received a response from General Neller's office, I do not yet have any commitment that Marine Commandant Neller will agree to meet with the victims. And no date or time for such a meeting has been provided to me. So I have to ask, does General Neller really care about victims? And if so, why does it not seem to be a priority to meet with them directly and to hear their ideas for change? And second, we think it's important that the voices of the victims be heard in testimony before the House and Senate Armed Forces Committee. Although those committees, including the Senate Armed Forces Committee, have heard from General Neller about the Marines United scandal, neither committee has invited victims to testify. So I ask, why are they being ignored? Why are the challenges faced by women Marines who are serving our country and who want to improve the status and condition of women Marines not being addressed? After all, women are not footnotes to history. We are the majority. And we have the right to respect and dignity and to have our voices heard. There can be no meaningful change without hearing from victims whose lives have been endangered by posts which suggest that they should be killed, and this is a quote, by friendly fire, end quote, or that they should be raped or sexually assaulted. And finally, we think that it's important to support the new bill to amend the Uniform Code of Military Justice to prohibit the non-consensual distribution of private sexual images. This bill, which was introduced by Representative Jackie Spear, is called the Service Members Intimate Privacy Protection Act, SIPA. And it's long overdue, and we look forward to testifying in support of it. So will we accomplish our mission and our goals? In the words of the suffragists, we promise that there will never again be a season of silence until women have the same rights as men on this green earth. Failure is impossible. So you mentioned Neller, and he at one point had said that he he condemned what happened in the Facebook groups, but he also said that he can't control what happens on social media. And you just said he's now not he's not saying that he's going to meet with victims. It seems to me that he's treating this a little bit more as a PR problem and less as an actual problem that he has to solve. Is that your impression? Well, it seems that way. I mean, he's formed a task force, which is usually what leaders do when they're in trouble, <laughs> when they're in crisis. And then when they've got a major public relations problem, if you look to government and you look to the history, you'll see that generally that's what politicians do or leaders do. They say, oh, I have a task force formed now, so we're going to do something about it. And often where there is a task force, you know, the task force ends up a long time later issuing recommendations, which often are not implemented. The fact that he is not even willing to meet with the victims, or at least has not agreed to any date or time, or even suggested any date or time when he would do so, tells me that perhaps he thinks that this is all going to go away. But I do not think that it will. So you've represented a plenty of women who have been subjected to harassment and assault in the workplace. Can you talk a little bit about how, the, how your experience with the military has differed from other workplaces? I do think that it's very, very serious what female Marines encounter. It, it, you know, they're in a way a captive group, even more so than 
than employees in a non uh, armed services workplace are, uh, because you know they they can't leave. <laughs> I mean, they're there for a certain term that they signed up for, and you know many of them feel they cannot even speak out because they're in the United States Marines. And if they do, that they might be retaliated against. Some feel ashamed. Some feel guilty, blame themselves when they shouldn't be blaming themselves. After all, a number of these naked photo images were sent, for example, just to their significant other or husband or boyfriend at the time or even girlfriend. And they were never meant for anyone else's use or to be distributed or published. And then sometimes the relationships broke up and suddenly as a matter of revenge, uh, this boyfriend, spouse, significant other then published them uh, on Marines United or on other web pages. So, you know, they feel betrayal and, I, and, and many of them are feeling that, you know, that the leadership in the Marine Corps may be looking down on them and blaming them. But that's really wrong because they're not to blame. And I think it's the Marines that have to be accountable. The military has been plagued by sexual assault and harassment for decades. While th this online harassment isn't even new, this happened in 2013. So is there any indication that the Marines United scandal could be a turning point for change? Well, I think it's important that it is now getting attention in Congress and that there is a bill that, you know, has been introduced. And that's really important, uh, you know, to work to change the law to impose more serious consequences for those who abuse their trust. And I know that there are many women Marines that appreciate Marissa having spoken out and Erica having spoken out. Just want to pivot slightly since we're recording this on Wednesday and news just broke that Bill O'Reilly is out at Fox News after we learned about these five payouts for sexual harassment lawsuits. Do you have any thoughts about that? I do. <laughs> uh, I think that the advertisers spoke in a loud voice. The stampede of advertisers running away from Bill O'Reilly's television show uh, after the New York Times published a very, very shocking article about the number of settlements that it alleged that uh, had been made in, after accusations had been made against Mr. O'Reilly. I think that that was a big turning point, and I think the advertisers understood that it would not go well with the public if, in fact, they continued to advertise on the show. The loss of that huge income to Fox News Channel, I think, really caused them to have to look at the benefits and the risks of keeping Mr. O'Reilly. And I think uh, they understood there was no way to reverse what became a PR disaster and justify keeping him on Fox News Channel. So I'm very proud of any woman who stood up for herself in this situation. And, uh, you know, Mr. O'Reilly, I think, has no one to blame but himself for all of what has occurred. Even though advertisers pressured Fox to make that decision, essentially, over 60% of Bill O'Reilly's viewers still support him. What do you think that that says about the culture that we live in, or are you concerned about that? 
In reference to his fan base, they've known him for a long time as a television host and perhaps as an author as well. What they may not be privy to are the details of the allegations of a number of women. Whether that would make that any difference to them, I don't know. But uh, this is certainly historic that he's leaving Fox News under these circumstances. And I think that the fan base is going to have to really think about who to believe under this set of circumstances. This is following the major scandal with Roger Ailes, who was ousted, and even Bill Shine has been accused of turning a blind eye towards the culture of misogyny. Do you believe that anything will change now that O'Reilly's out? I do think it certainly sends a very, very loud and important message to other corporations, large and small, that, you know, if they continue to employ individuals who are the target of numerous accusations of sexual harassment, that there's going to be a day that comes where not only the accused is going to have to be accountable, but the corporation, which continues to employ the accused, is going to have to be accountable. Their risk is high, that is that of the corporation, and especially if there's more than one allegation of sexual harassment, and they're on notice of that, and they continue to employ that person, it could cost them not only in the court of public opinion, but in a court of law. So we do more sexual harassment and employment cases in our private law firm, our Red Rock and Goldberg, than any other law firm in the nation, and we've been doing them for 41 years. So we know that sexual harassment is, is pervasive in many workplaces, and we've done many, many confidential settlements. We've also litigated sexual harassment cases to trial. I think we're starting to see a shift in public opinion where there's going to have to be a price to be paid by those who are accused of sexual harassment and the cost of the wrongdoing is going to be borne by the harasser and not just by the victim. Gloria Allred, thank you so much for joining us. We're so happy to have you on the show. Well, thank you. My pleasure. Jezebel's a terrific webpage, and I hope that you keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Now it's time for How to Handle the Dicks, even though the format of our show may change, this literally never will. And also there will always be dicks to handle. There will always be dicks to handle and always Prachi and Joanna is here to handle them. Um, Prachi, what are you doing? Off of my high from the week before, finding some comfort and solace in other... <laughs> that was so nice yeah. when that happened. <laughs> um off, fresh off the high of that, I decided to invest in myself a little bit, by <laughs> which I mean I started making doctor's appointments for everything That's great. that I need that I've put off for almost like years and am now just determined to do everything I need to do and to take care of myself. And also, yeah. That's great. One funny fact about Jezebel, just so you know how the snossage is made, is that many people on staff all go to the same dentist. It's like our family practitioner, and they play, like, rave and stuff. And it feels like once a day a Jezebel staff member is at the dentist. Doesn't it feel like it that? Do, it really does feel <laughs> like that. At the same dentist. Yeah. It's very weird. Prachi, also, I recently saw a new GP 
general practitioner. For, it's like, what's a GP? For people who aren't pros. hot new lingo. Um, who I love. But she also said that when we're so young, we're not supposed to be seeing doctors as often as our insurance tells us we're supposed to be seeing them. I mean, I'm sure, like, your doctor's appointments are very useful and helpful. However, I see, like, six doctors. I see, like, a neurologist because I have migraines and I see a dermatologist and I see a blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, I'll just do it all for you. Stop stop wasting your time at doctor's appointments. What does you she don't mean need by to get, do it all? She, like, will prescribe me... Should I say this? <laughs> <laughs> Some X medication. Say generic medication. She was just like, yeah, here. she was like, I'll help you out. I can do all this stuff. Don't waste your time. You're a young little sprout. <laughs> Don't go to so many doctor's appointments like you're a retiree. And I that found I found that very comfortable, but also scary. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I'm definitely not a doctor. <laughs> But I disagree. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think there should you should go to a doctor if you want to and if you feel like you need to. I think that's really nice advice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> my my how to handle the dicks is ugh, so annoying. A couple weeks ago, I spent a lot of money on a very fancy skincare regimen. I spent all this money and I was like, I'm going to do this every single day in April. And at the end of April, my skin is going to look unfreaking believable. And I've been doing it every single day of April. <laughs> and I have the most volcanic, explosive whitehead zit right in the middle of my chin. And it's not only frustrating, but just like demoralizing. And I feel like it's teaching me that a valuable lesson from this podcast is, like, as as much as we try to handle the dicks, the dicks will always handle us. That is so depressing. <laughs> that is That lesson is way too depressing. Let me change for it. For a pimple. <laughs> <laughs> That's, no, it's the lesson. The lesson is no matter how hard we try to exert some control on a chaotic world, you kind of can but only to a point. Like, the rest of my face looks great. But my chin, there's one pimple. And, like, if you can take the pimple with the silky smooth cheek, maybe that's the key to happiness in life. Right? What a beautiful parable <laughs> that is. The that's parable a, of the pimple. The parable of the pimple and the silky cheek. so much for listening to Big Time Dicks, and thank you so much to Miranda Peterson and Gloria Allred for joining us on the show. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so other people can find the show, and you can also find us on Panoply, NPR One, and wherever you get your podcasts. This show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Dries. Mandana Mofidi is our executive director of audio, and we featured music by Stuart Wood and Aaron Leader. The episode was mixed by Brad Fisher. Got a big time dick you want to tell us about? Send a voice note or email to bigtimedicks at jezebel.com or tweet at Jezebel using the hashtag bigtimedicks. We'll see you next Friday, and who knows what the world will look like then. Bye.